Section six of the Tomb of Tutankhamun by Howard Carter. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Avai in June two thousand nineteen. Chapter three, the Valley in Modern Times. For our first real description of the Valley in Modern Times, we must turn to the pages of Richard Pocock an english traveller who in seventeen forty three published a description of the east in several volumes his account is extremely interesting and considering the hurried nature of his visit extraordinarily accurate here is his description of the approach to the valley Quote, the sheikh furnished me with horses and we set out to go to biban el meluk and went about a mile to the north, in a sort of street, on each side of which the rocky ground about ten feet high has rooms cut into it, some of them being supported with pillars, and, as there is not the least sign in the plain of private buildings, I thought that these in the very earliest times might serve as houses, and be the first invention after tents, and contrived as better shelter from wind and cold of the nights it is a sort of gravelly stone and the doors are cut regularly to the street footnote they certainly have the appearance of houses but actually they are facade tombs of the middle kingdom End footnote. we then turned to the northwest entered in between the high rocky hills and went in a very narrow valley we after turned towards the south and then to the northwest going in all between the mountains about a mile or a mile and a half we came to a part that is wider being a round opening like an amphitheatre and ascended by a narrow step passage about ten feet high which seems to have been broken down through the rock the ancient passage being probably from the memonium under the hills and it may be from the grottoes i entered on the other side by this passage we came to biban el meluk or bab el maluk that is the gate or court of the kings being the sepulchres of the kings of thebes the tradition of a secret passage through the hills to the der el bahari side of the cliff is still to be found among the natives and to the present day there are archaeologists who subscribe to it there is however little or no basis for the theory and certainly not a vestige of proof pocock then goes on to an account of such of the tombs as were accessible at the time of his visit he mentions fourteen in all and most of them are recognizable from his description of five of them those of rameses the fourth rameses the sixth rameses the twelfth seti the second and the tomb commenced by Ta'usert and finished by Setnecht, he gives the entire plan. In the case of four, Merenptah, Ramesses III, Amenmeses, and Ramesses Eleventh, he only planned the outer galleries and chambers, the inner chambers evidently being inaccessible, and the remaining five he speaks of as stopped up. Footnote from the evidence of graffiti these same tombs were open in classical times the greek authors refer to them as syringes from their reed-like form 
End footnote. It is evident from Pocock's native that he was not able to devote as much time to his visit as he would have liked. The valley was not a safe spot to linger in, for the pious anchorite we left in possession had given place to a horde of bandits who dwelt among the Kurna hills and terrorized the whole countryside. The sheikh also was in haste to go, he remarks, being afraid, as I imagine, lest the people should have opportunity to gather together if we stayed out long. These Theban bandits were notorious, and we find frequent mention of them in the tales of eighteenth-century travellers. Norden, who visited Thebes in 1737, but who never got nearer the valley than the Ramesseum, he seems to have thought himself lucky to have got so far, describes them thus. Quote, These people occupy, at present, the grottoes which are seen in great numbers in the neighbouring mountains. They obey no one. They are lodged so high that they discover at a distance if any one comes to attack them. Then, if they think themselves strong enough, they descend into the plain to dispute the ground. If not, they keep themselves under shelter in their grottoes, or they retire deeper into the mountains, whither you would have no great desire to follow them. End quote. Bruce, who visited the valley in 1769, also suffered at the hands of these bandits, and puts on record a somewhat drastic but fruitless attempt made by one of the native governors to curb their activities. Quote, a number of robbers, who much resemble our gypsies, live in the holes of the mountains above Thebes. They are all outlaws, punished with death if elsewhere found. Osman Bey, an ancient governor of Gargi, unable to suffer any longer the disorders committed by these people, ordered a quantity of dried faggots to be brought together, and with his soldiers took possession of the face of the mountain, where the greatest number of these wretches were. He then ordered all their caves to be filled with this dry brushwood, to which he set fire, so that most of them were destroyed, but they have since recruited their numbers without changing their manners. End quote. In the course of this visit, Bruce made copies of the figures of harpers in the tomb of Rameses III, a tomb which still goes by his name, but his labours were brought to an abrupt conclusion. Finding that it was his intention to spend the night in the tomb and continue his researches in the morning, his guides were seized with terror. With great clamour and marks of discontent they dashed their torches against the largest harp and made the best of their way out of the cave, leaving me and my people in the dark, and all the way as they went they made dreadful denunciations of tragical events that were immediately to follow upon their departure from the cave. That their terror was genuine and not ill-founded, Bruce was soon to discover, for as he rode down the valley in the gathering darkness, he was attacked by a party of the bandits who lay in wait for him, and hurled stones at him from the side of the cliff. With the aid of his gun and his servant's blunderbuss, he managed to beat them off, but, on arriving at his boat, he thought it prudent to cast off at once, and made no attempt to repeat his visit. Nor did even the magic of Napoleon's name suffice to curb the arrogance of these Theban bandits, 
for the members of his scientific commission who visited thebes in the last days of the century were molested and even fired upon they succeeded however in making a complete survey of all the tombs then open and also carried out a small amount of excavation let us pass on now to eighteen fifteen and make the acquaintance of one of the most remarkable men in the whole history of egyptology in the early years of the century a young italian giant belzoni by name was earning a precarious income in england by performing feats of strength at fairs and circuses born in padua of a respectable family of roman extraction he had been intended for the priesthood but a roving disposition combined with the internal troubles in italy at that period had driven him to seek his fortune abroad we happened recently upon a reference to him in his pre-egyptian days in one of rainy day smith's books of reminiscences where the author describes how he was carried round the stage with a group of other people by the strong man belzoni in the intervals of circus work belzoni seems to have studied engineering and in eighteen fifteen he thought he saw a chance of making his fortune by introducing into egypt a hydraulic wheel which would he claimed do four times the work of the ordinary native appliance with this in view he made his way to egypt contrived an introduction to mohammed ali the bashaw and in the garden of the palace actually set up his wheel according to belzoni it was a great success but the egyptians refused to have anything to do with it and he found himself stranded in egypt then through the traveller burckhardt he got an introduction to salt the british consul-general in egypt and contracted with him to bring the colossal memnion bust rameses the second now in the british museum from luxor to alexandria this was in eighteen fifteen and the next five years he spent in egypt excavating and collecting antiquities first for salt and afterwards on his own account and quarrelling with rival excavators notably drovetti who represented the french consul those were the great days of excavating anything to which a fancy was taken from a scarab to an obelisk was just appropriated and if there was a difference of opinion with a brother excavator one laid for him with a gun belzoni's account of his experiences in egypt published in eighteen twenty is one of the most fascinating books in the whole of egyptian literature and i should like to quote from it at length how for instance he dropped an obelisk in the nile and fished it out again and the full story of his various squabbles we must confine ourselves however to his actual work in the valley here he discovered and cleared a number of tombs including those of Ai, Mentu, Her, Kepesh, F, Rameses I, and Seti I. In the last named he found the magnificent alabaster sarcophagus, which is now in the Soane Museum in London. This was the first occasion on which excavations on a large scale had ever been made in the valley, and we must give Belzoni full credit for the manner in which they were carried out there are episodes which give the modern excavator rather a shock as for example when he describes his method of dealing with sealed doorways by means of a battering ram 
but on the whole the work was extraordinarily good it is perhaps worth recording the fact that belzoni like everyone else who has ever dug in the valley was of the opinion that he had absolutely exhausted its possibilities it is my firm opinion he states that in the valley of beban el maluk there are no more tombs than are now known in consequence of my late discoveries for previously to my quitting that place i exerted all my humble abilities in endeavouring to find another tomb but could not succeed and what is a still greater proof independent of my own researches after i quitted the place mr salt the british consul resided there four months and laboured in like manner in vain to find another in eighteen twenty belzoni returned to england and gave an exhibition of his treasures including the alabaster sarcophagus and a model of the tomb of seti in a building which had been erected in piccadilly in eighteen twelve a building which many of us can still remember the egyptian hall he never returned to egypt but died a few years later on an expedition to timbuktu for twenty years after belzoni's day the valley was well exploited and published records come thick and fast we shall not have space here to do more than mention a few of the names salt champouillon burton hay head rossellini wilkinson who numbered the tombs rawlinson rind in eighteen forty four the great german expedition under lepsius made a complete survey of the valley and cleared the tomb of rameses the second and part of the tomb of merentah hereafter comes a gap the german expedition was supposed to have exhausted the possibilities and nothing more of any consequence was done in the valley until the very end of the century in this period however just outside the valley there occurred one of the most important events in the whole of its history in the preceding chapter we told how the various royal mummies were collected from their hiding-places and deposited altogether in a rock cleft at deir el bahari there for nearly three thousand years they had rested and there in the summer of eighteen seventy five they were found by the members of a kurna family the abd el rasouls it was in the thirteenth century b c that the inhabitants of this village first adopted the trade of tomb robbing and it is a trade that they have adhered to steadfastly ever since their activities are curbed at the present day but they still search on the sly in out-of-the-way corners and occasionally make a rich strike on this occasion the find was too big to handle it was obviously impossible to clear the tomb of its contents so the whole family was sworn to secrecy and its heads determined to leave the find where it was and to draw on it from time to time as they needed money incredible as it may seem the secret was kept for six years and the family with a banking account of forty or more dead pharaohs to draw upon grew rich it soon became manifest from objects which came into the market that there had been a rich find of royal material somewhere but it was not until eighteen eighty one that it was possible to trace the sale of the objects to the abd el rasul family even then it was difficult to prove anything the head of the family was arrested and subjected by the mudir of Kenneh, 
the notorious daoud pasha whose methods of administering justice were unorthodox but effectual to an examination naturally he denied the charge and equally naturally the village of Kurna rose as one man and protested that in a strictly honest community the abdel rasul family were of all men the most honest he was released provisionally for lack of evidence but his interview with daoud seems to have shaken him interviews with daoud usually did have that effect one of our older workmen told us once of an experience of his in his younger days he had been by trade a thief and in the exercise of his calling had been apprehended and brought before the mudir it was a hot day and his nerves were shaken right at the start by finding the mudir taken his ease in a large earthenware jar of water from this unconventional seat of justice daoud had looked at him just looked at him and as his eyes went through me i felt my bones turning to water within me then very quietly he said to me this is the first time you have appeared before me you are dismissed but be very very careful that you do not appear a second time and i was so terrified that i changed my trade and never did some effect of this sort must have been produced on the abdel rasul family for a month later one of its members went to the mudir and made full confession news was telegraphed at once to cairo emile brugge bay of the museum was sent up to investigate and take charge and on the fifth of july eighteen eighty one the long-kept secret was revealed to him it must have been an amazing experience there huddled together in a shallow ill-cut grave lay the most powerful monarchs of the ancient east kings whose names were familiar to the whole world but whom no one in their wildest moments had ever dreamt of seeing there they had remained where the priests in secrecy had hurriedly brought them that dark night three thousand years ago and on their coffins and mummies neatly docketed were the records of their journeyings from one hiding-place to another some had been rewrapped and two or three in the course of their many wanderings had contrived to change their coffins in forty-eight hours we don't do things quite so hastily nowadays the tomb was cleared the kings were embarked upon the museum barge and within fifteen days of brugge bay's arrival in luxor they were landed in cairo and were deposited in the museum it is a familiar story but worth repeating that as the barge made its way down the river the men of the neighbouring villages fired guns as for a funeral while the women followed along the bank tearing their hair and uttering that shrill quavering cry of mourning for the dead a cry that has doubtless come right down from the days of the pharaohs themselves to return to the valley in eighteen ninety eight acting on information supplied by local officials monsieur loret then director-general of the service of antiquities opened up several new royal tombs including those of Totmes I, Totmes III, and Amenhotep II. This last was a very important discovery. We have already stated that in the twenty-first dynasty thirteen royal mummies had found sanctuary in this Amenhotep's tomb, and here in 1898 the thirteen were found. It was but their mummies that remained. The wealth, 
which in their power they had lavished on their funerals had long since vanished but at least they had been spared the last indignity the tomb had been entered it is true it had been robbed and the greater part of the funeral equipment had been plundered and broken but it had escaped the wholesale destruction that the other royal tombs had undergone and the mummies remained intact the body of amenhotep himself still lay within its own sarcophagus where it had rested for more than three thousand years very rightly the government at the representation of sir william garstin decided against its removal the tomb was barred and bolted a guard was placed upon it and there the king was left in peace unfortunately there is a sequel to this story within a year or two of the discovery the tomb was broken into by a party of modern tomb robbers doubtless with the connivance of the guard and the mummy was removed from its sarcophagus and searched for treasure the thieves were subsequently tracked down by the chief inspector of antiquities and arrested although he was unable to secure their conviction at the hands of the native court the whole proceedings as set forth in the official report remind one very forcibly of the records of ancient tomb robbery described in the preceding chapter and we are forced to the conclusion that in many ways the egyptian of the present day differs little from his ancestor in the reign of rameses the ninth one moral we can draw from this episode and we commend it to the critics who call us vandals for taking objects from the tombs by removing antiquities to museums we are really assuring their safety left in situ they would inevitably sooner or later become the prey of thieves and that for all practical purposes would be the end of them in 1902 permission to dig in the valley under government supervision was granted to an american mr theodore davis and he subsequently excavated there for twelve consecutive seasons his principal finds are known to most of us they include the tombs of tothmes the fourth hatshepsut sipta yua and thua great-grandfather and grandmother these of tutankhamun's queen horemheb and a vault not a real tomb devised for the transfer of the burial of Ankenaton from its original tomb at Tel el Amarna. This cache comprised the mummy and coffin of the heretic king, a very small part of his funerary equipment, and portions of the sepulchral shrine of his mother Taiyi. In 1914 Mr. Davis's concession reverted to us, and the story of the tomb of Tutankhamun really begins. End of section 6